Miracy. I'm not saying that you want to be directive all the time, but I think in the coaching world, there's a bit of a dogma around non-directive coaching and never giving advice that I think just doesn't really hold water. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching business. Today, I'm extra excited because I have the pleasure to bring on a guest that I admire and am grateful to work with as well. He's the founder and CEO of Miracy, a business education company on a mission to reimagine business and transform education. He's a colleague, friend, and an amazing entrepreneur, and someone I consider to be my coach. Oh, and he's the executive producer of Miracy's podcast network, Miracy FM. Who am I talking about? Danny Eney. My company, The Coaches Console, and Miracy have been referral partners for a long time, so we know each other well. Today, Danny and I are going to take a look at the role of strategy in coaching. It's a topic Danny and I have discussed many times, so we thought we'd clarify the difference between coaching and consulting and when that difference matters. Danny Eney and Miracy have developed innovative training programs that have set the bar for online education. He is a sought-after expert known for his knowledge, insights, and integrity. He's also a best-selling author of multiple books, including his two latest, Effortless and Online Courses. Welcome, Danny. Melinda, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be on the show. I remember when we met It was like a mastermind conference type of thing. And I think it was over breakfast when we had our first conversation. But one of the distinct memories that I have of us working together as coming together to refer each other's businesses. And I remember you opened up this strategy spreadsheet and I geek out over spreadsheets. And it was this strategy to help me get clear to know how can we best serve our audience through the resources that you were providing And I just, I loved the way that your mind worked about really being intentional about the strategy so that we could serve our audience to get the best results. And it really set the bar high for me on the resources we provide to our audience. And that's one of my very first and favorite memories of us working together. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Thank you. I still remember, you know, exactly where we were sitting in that restaurant just outside of San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah, that was a good while ago. Well, let's dive right in, Danny. Can you explain the difference between a coach and a consultant? Yeah, so I love this question. It comes up pretty often. And the way I think about it is that it depends how good they are, because a really good coach and a really good consultant are going to be very similar. They'll just approach things with a slightly different twist. But the real differences show up when you've got a lousy coach and a lousy consultant. They're going to be lousy in very different ways, right? So If we look at the lousy coach and the lousy consultant, the lousy consultant is the, I'm just going to tell you what to do. Tell me about your situation. I'll give you a report. I'll give you the advice. I don't care if you understand it. I don't care if you internalize it. I don't care if you act on it. I'm just giving you the advice. What you do with it is on you. And then if you look at the coach, the lousy coach is going to be like a business therapist. It's like, I have this business problem. What should I do? Well, what do you think you should do? Right. And I'm really frustrated. I'm stuck here. But how does that make you feel? Right. And, and both of them are quite useless. But when you go to the place where you've got a really competent coach and a really competent 
consultant, they're going to be very similar. They're going to bring from their expertise to give you a lens on the situation that you might not otherwise have, a perspective that you might not otherwise have. And that's not just a matter of them not being in your shoes. I think there are a lot of coaches who like to say that, you know, a big advantage of coaching is just that they're looking at from outside. And that is a huge benefit, but they're also looking at from outside with perspective and experience and expertise, right? They, they know about this. You presumably would not want to be coached in an area where someone maybe is a great coach, but has no experience in the subject area, right? If I'm working with a business coach, yes, I want them to be a skilled coach. I also want them to be good at business. I want them to maybe understand my industry or the problem that I'm trying to solve. So they will look at your situation with this outside perspective informed by expertise. They will either give you or lead you to advice, to solutions, right? And that can be in the form of, here's what I think you should do, kind of blending the skills of a, a teacher and advisor. It could be in the form of a Socratic dialogue of helping you come to the conclusions yourself, which you know is a more powerful way for you to integrate the ideas. But they're going to bring you to that and support you in the execution, right? Giving you the tools to make sure that it actually turns into action and into results. So I think a really good coach and a really good consultant, very similar. It is almost a matter of semantics. The worse they are at their job, the more of a difference there will be in the way they show up. Yeah, I love that distinction. And let's talk about accountability for a second, because you mentioned when the consultant is lousy, like they don't really care. It's like, I'm just going to give you this. It's up to you if you do something with it, fine or not. But let's talk about that really good consultant. What's the role of accountability with that person? People tend not to internalize all of the challenges and externalize all of the benefits. So, you know, if I worked with you and I was unsuccessful, realistically, I'm probably going to blame you. Probably more than you deserve, right? But certainly not less than you deserve. So they're going to be evaluated based on the actual change and results that they were able to affect. And so because that is how they're going to be evaluated, accountability, just like helping people lead to execution, just like all these other things, has to be part of the process. Now, that being said, there's accountability and there's accountability. There's accountability as in, you know, someone is checking in with me so this doesn't drop to the bottom of my to-do list and I forget about it. And then there's accountability, like I'm going to be maybe a very highly paid, but still a babysitter who's there to make sure you do your work. And I don't think a great coach is going to be sitting there with you holding your hand every second of every minute because a good coach does not breed dependency. They want to make you independent and empowered. And a good consultant doesn't want to breed dependency in the same way because, you know, they want to move on to the next mandate or the next client that they don't want to sit there holding your hand. So again, it's going to be very similar because they need to create the accountability that will essentially be a structure that supports you to get to the outcomes you want, but not in such a way that makes you dependent on them because it's not good for you and it's not good for them. Mm. Now, I read an article about this topic as I was doing some research for this, and I came across this interesting thing. I want to get your thoughts on this. This article said that with a consultant, the consultant is the one who holds the power. With a coach, the client holds the power. I wanted to get your thoughts on that. That's an interesting distinction. I kind of see where, at least where I imagine they're going with that, but I think I would use different words. I wouldn't think of it in terms of power. I would think about it in terms of authority, right? So you know, as a coach, if I'm working with you, if I'm focusing on a modality of coaching, because again, realistically, people who are good at what they do, they'll blend coaching skills with consulting skills. But if I'm focusing on a coaching modality, then 
you are the arbiter of what you feel and what you are capable of. And I might nudge you a little bit in this or that direction, right? But the authority is you and I'm the facilitator. Whereas if I have my consulting hat on, I have the authority because I'm advising on something that I know more about than you do. And I think that distinction is valuable because the risk that you run is keeping the the authority when you're trying to be coaching. And that actually can be very disempowering to the client. That's the opposite of empowering them and giving them that independence and autonomy. So it is important to be mindful of that. And I think even as a consultant, right, if you keep too much of that authority for yourself, again, you disempower the client and you take away from their likelihood to actually achieve success. So it is an interesting distinction, but it's a distinction in terms of which hat am I wearing right now and how am I showing up in this particular interaction rather than in the nature of our entire relationship, to my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, many business owners will stand in their own way when it comes to growing their business. Maybe they've been burned from prior bad experiences with consultants or even a coach, or they're just not sure it's for them. So let's start with how does a person know they need a consultant? If the reason you are not able to get things done and achieve the results you want is, let's call it close to the center of the task that you actually want to do. Like, you know, I can't make my Facebook ads work because I don't know how to work the Facebook ads interface, or I don't know how to write the, you know, the subject lines or the, or the ads, or I don't know how to film the videos, right? A consultant will help with that because it's close to the core of that expertise. If I'm struggling with it because, you know, I have these inner fears of what if people close to me stumble onto my ads and they're like, what are you doing? Are you that guy? And so, you know, every time I go to reach for creating the ads, I stop and I distract myself and I procrastinate and I can't figure out why, you know, a consultant is going to like scratch their head and they're like, you know, what are you five? Just do the work. Whereas a coach will have both the patience and the perspective and, and presumably the expertise to recognize there's something deeper going on and guide you to that. But again, there, it's really important to work with a really good coach because as much as mindset plays a huge role in your ability to get things done, I find that the umbrella of mindset is often a crutch for people to create excuses about why they're not getting things done, right? Oh, I can't, I have to work on my mindset. And sometimes, no, you just have to, you know, buckle in and do the work. And so you need a coach who who can help you work on those mindset issues, but can also recognize when, no, you know what? I don't think this is a mindset issue. I think you just need to suck it up and make some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you've talked about coaches and consultants about not being either or, but a hybrid. What do you mean by that? I, I mean, they're, they're both skill sets, right? You're probably going to need to lean on both skills. And the reality is that we tend to try to lean into where we're strong, but we tend to lose because of the things where we're weak. And so someone who's been consulting for 20 years, realistically, when they have a, a lack of success, a lack of outcomes with a client, it's not because they just didn't have brilliant enough of an idea, right? It's because they had a great idea, but the client didn't do anything with it. And this is endemic to the, to the consulting world, spending, you know, in the case of like the big consulting firms, you know, spending millions of dollars for what becomes a report that sits on a shelf and gathers dust and at best covers someone's ass, but doesn't actually make anyone any money or turn into any results, right? In the coaching world, same thing. You know, the savvier and more skilled a coach you are, the less likely it is that your client's lack of progress is because, well, you just couldn't tap into that mindset issue. You know, at some point it's like, well, no, we worked through all these issues, but at some point they needed advice. I just didn't have the expertise to give. So I think it's really important to be well-rounded if you really want to thrive 
as a professional and make a real impact for the people you're serving. Now, when we prepared for this episode, you described consulting and coaching in terms of directive versus non-directive coaching. Can you elaborate? You've already started hinting on that, but can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So I should preface this by saying a few things. First of all, this is going to be a little controversial, especially to some of the certified coaches in the audience. But there has been this growth over the last few decades of coaching schools that certify people in, you know, you are certified as a coach. And in a lot of cases, they will certify you as a coach without regard to any other skill. So in other words, you know, you're qualified to coach, coach what? And they'll say, well, you're qualified to coach anything, you know, business, relationships, life, because this coaching methodology applies to everything. And so kind of to my mind, because they want to support the marketability of the skill, they're kind of saying, well, the coaching is the only skill that matters. And the subject matter expertise, well, don't worry about it. The client is supposed to be the subject matter expert anyway. And I understand that argument in terms of how it makes sense for the coaching school. And I also understand the argument that coaching is absolutely a skill. So I don't want to diminish the value of that. But you know, how many people really want to be receiving business coaching from someone who has no knowledge or experience or skill at business? or want to receive relationship coaching from someone who's been through 17 failed marriages and you know can't get past a third date, right? Like that just doesn't make intuitive sense. And so, you know, that's where I feel like it came from and you know the language of directive versus non-directive is basically how the coaching schools and the coaching bodies dressed up this idea of, you know, it's non-directive coaching meaning we're focusing on the skill of coaching rather than actually giving people any particular advice. Now, I also want to give fair airtime to the other side. It is very easy to lean in a direction of, I'm just going to give you advice and I'm going to take all the authority in this relationship. And that can be legitimately disempowering to the client and also not in their best service because you might not have perfect visibility on everything that's going on in their situation. So I'm not saying that you want to be directive all the time, but I think in the coaching world, there's a bit of a dogma around non-directive coaching and never giving advice that I think just doesn't really hold water. Yeah. And I think having these terms, like you were talking about the distinction earlier, the really good coaches, the really good consultants, it helps them to stay mindful of what hat they are wearing when they're interacting with their clients. So as to not create confusion, but the lousy ones, that's where you're going to really see the difference. But I do like having that awareness of how am I showing up as a coach? Because I blend that as well. I mean, coaching coaches in their business, There's just things you have to know about business. It doesn't matter how great my coaching is. You just need this piece of information. And I'm not going to let you waste six, nine, 12 months because I could just give this to you right now. And then we can do coaching around that topic. I've spoken with so many very successful, established, skilled coaches. And when I asked them about this, because I had this phase where I was like, directive, non-directive, what's this all about? Trying to understand it. Why are people so up in arms in certain circles about this? And I would ask them about it. And What I would often get back is like, you know, well, a coach doesn't give advice. A coach doesn't direct. A coach is just facilitating. But of course, I'll also give advice. I mean, let's be real. If somebody needs advice, I'll give it. So it's like, you know, all the skilled coaches, it's like, well, this is what coaching, quote unquote, is. But of course, I'm also going to give advice and consult when I need to. And some will use the metaphor of now I have my coaching hat on. Now I have my consulting hat on. Some will just say, you know, well, I'll sneak in advice on the side because it's what people need. But everyone who's good at this blends the two. Now, some might argue that strategy doesn't even belong in a coaching conversation. I'm guessing you don't agree. 
I'm biased, but I think the people who argue that strategy doesn't belong in a coaching conversation are the people who are not very good at strategy. It's very easy to say, and I don't mean that in a judgy kind of way, but when you are not good at something, it's very easy to argue for why, well, I don't think it's needed for this, right? In much the same way that the coaching schools are all like non-directive, non-directive is the way to go. But does strategy belong in every coaching conversation? No, of course not. Sometimes that's not the issue. Is strategy important as a context for that conversation? I think so, because strategy is fundamentally about the question of what are we solving for and are we moving in that direction as intelligently and wisely as possible? So without that as a frame, it's like, well, what are we doing? We're just fumbling around in the dark. And then in some particular coaching conversations, yes, there is a role for both providing that strategic guidance, hey, here's what you're missing, and also leading the client to a better strategic perspective. Hey, what about this? Have you thought about that? What if we look at this from a bigger, from a bigger perspective? I feel like as we talk, I'm, I'm alienating a lot of coaches. <laughs> that isn't no, my intention. It, it, I think it's going to be fine. And it's something that I think all coaches need to really think about. And they need to have this conversation with themselves. So I'm sure your coaches have had students or clients who needed a consultant, but they want to coach. In fact, this came up recently at your live event. What are the best practices around working with the person to determine what exactly they need? Well, I think this is where some of that strategic perspective comes in, because the reality is that it takes a very both sophisticated and self-aware client to know exactly what they need, right? Realistically, in most cases, if I knew exactly what I needed, the problem would already be solved, right? Because information, advice, guidance isn't that hard to get. And if I know that the issue is strictly coaching, you know, you can also engage in self-coaching. You can, you know, the questions that a coach would ask you, you can ask them of yourself. And that's not to take away from the value of a coach, but, you know, a lot of what a coach or a consultant does is helps you understand and define the problem, right? A really well-defined problem is not that hard to solve in most cases, right? With some exceptions. And so a lot of what the coach, consultant, whatever we're calling them, the guiding professional, a lot of what they are really doing is helping you while they're helping themselves to better understand what are we actually solving for, right? This is a question that I ask probably more than, more than any other question, right? It's a question I ask myself. It's a question I ask my team. It's a question I ask my coaches. It's a question I ask my clients. What are we solving for, right? If, if we are successful in this conversation, where will that lead, right? What is the win scenario? And that is something that is very hard for us to often articulate because maybe we don't have the perspective. Maybe we are too close in it. You know, it's hard to read the label when you're inside the jar. I think the job starts with, let's understand where you are, where you want to go, what's standing in the way and what it will take to get you there. And then in terms of how, you know, how we get you there, once we understand what it'll take, that's where you reach from the coaching toolbox, reach from the consulting toolbox. You use whatever instruments will help you get there, often swapping back and forth, maybe several times in the course of a single session. I think it's important to also set the expectation with the client to let them know when they're first considering working with you that this is my approach and I'm going to pull from these different tools that I have in my toolkit to best support you in what we're solving for, where you're trying to get to the results that you want. And I find that when we can set those expectations clearly up front, the client can show up in bigger and better ways because they're ready to receive guiding information when I put on my consultant hat or the coaching information when I start exploring and asking more questions. 
And I think they have a better experience. I think it's important to set those expectations early with your clients and be transparent about that as well. I agree. I think it's very important to give people a sense of how this is going to work. And that's because you know, the process of growth and change is difficult. There's friction. It's going to be challenging along the way. And so the more they can see, oh, yeah, I knew this is how it's going to work. This is familiar. This is not a surprise. It gets easier. I would say that, you know, that pre-framing, what you need to do there will vary a little bit depending on the audience, right? Like there are some, especially in the, in the corporate world, there are some environments where consulting looks a very particular way, right? And, you know, bringing coaching skills into that it might just be weird. And so you might want to pre-frame, hey, I'm going to do this if necessary, because I want to make sure this leads to outcomes, right? And especially in a large corporate hierarchy, if you're talking to people at different levels, you might want to kind of get clearance for, you know, if I feel the need for that, can I do that? Do you want me to check with you first? Like, how should that work? And then, you know, on the flip side, particularly in very coaching immersed audiences, right? You serve an audience of coaches. So they're very aware of you know, what coaching is, how coaching works slash is quote unquote supposed to work, right? Then again, they have certain expectations. So anytime your modality of delivery is going to be different from their expectations, you want to make sure you clarify that in a above and beyond just here's how I work. It's like, here's how I work. And here's how I work that might be different from what you expect. But this is why I think it is better. Well, I just want to summarize a few things. We have covered a lot of ground on this topic today. And some of my top takeaways from this conversation, Danny, are I love the distinction that when you have a really good coach or a really good consultant, they're going to be very similar. But when they're lousy, that's when you're going to really see the differences between the two. And then another topic that we talked about is the hybrid. It doesn't have to be either or. Let it be both. And for all the coaches listening in, this is important when you are on the other side of the enrollment conversation and and having a client that's looking to hire you, it's important to be transparent and to share this distinction with that potential client so that they know what they can expect in working with you, whether you take that pure traditional coaching approach or you're just a consultant or you blend the two, but not to just use those words interchangeably, to really be clear in that distinction. Uh, and, and most often, I love that phrase, what are we solving for? It's a great tool for the consultant. It's a great tool for the coach. That is a powerful question that always has our clients moving forward to reach their goal. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Danny Eney for this great conversation. You can find out more about him at miraseat.com. That's M-I-R-A-S-E-E dot com. Danny, thank you so much for coming to the show. Melinda, always a pleasure. If you like today's podcast, you'll surely enjoy the inspirational episodes over at Making It. In each episode, a successful entrepreneur will share what making it means to them and what they've learned along the way. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is a Miracy FM original production. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. Danny Eney is our executive producer. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance and Cynthia. Jeff Govertson assembled the episode. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. 
And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, podcasts at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.